Uh, if you're new with us tonight, we just come to our last sermon in the series on Exodus. And tonight we're looking at uh, 13 chapters of Exodus, 25 to 31 and 35 to the end. If you haven't met, my name is uh, Paul Dale, the minister here. Just before we had the Bible reading read to us, I want to tell you a story about a lady I met about three years ago. Her name is uh, Helen. Helen came to me and uh, she was not a Christian and she was interested in spiritual things. And she had this sort of this longing just to find out if there was a God and if there was a God, what was he like and how could she know this God? And a, a very strange thing happened. I've seen it happen before. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. She, she'd been to a church and this church said to her, to know God, just pray. Just pray. And she said, but I don't know who to pray to. I mean, who am I talking to? And so I sat down with her and I, I opened the Bible with her, took her to Mark's Gospel. And I say, it strangely happened, but I've seen it happen so many times because as she read Mark's Gospel and as she saw the person of Jesus Christ, as she got to know God better, she just got blown away by how godly God is, how mighty God is, how holy God is, how perfect God is. And then I remember, well, she sort of broke down and she said, well, who am I? I'm just this small being. I'm, I'm unworthy. And you've got this sense of this spiritual smallness, if you want. And she said, look, I can't just pray to this holy God. So how can I have a relationship with this God if he really is holy and really is perfect? And friends, in a way, Helen's story is, is my story and, and it's hopefully all our stories. Because it's the story of the whole Bible, isn't it? See, back in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve were in the garden in a perfect relationship with God and God is said to walk with them, his intimate presence with them. You know, like, like they talk to him like a friend. And yet when sin enters the world in chapter 3 of Genesis, what happens there? They're shut out from the garden and they're banished from the garden. And God puts a barrier there. It's a barrier of a sword and, and a cherubim. And sure, God is still with them, but not in that intimate way and they can't walk with God. And so the rest of the Bible is about how we can recapture that intimate relationship with God again. Because that's what we're made for, isn't it? That's what we long for. That's what our heart aches for. To engage with, to communicate with, to be known by, to love, be loved by the holy, perfect God. See, as we come to the end of Exodus, these last 13 chapters, they can seem to be a bit laborious, you know, measurement after measurement and item after item and symbol after symbol. And the first sort of 30 chapters of Exodus, they're, they're so exciting. You've got the plagues and you've got the Red Sea parting and you've got the, the Sinai experience and the, the law being given. But friends, a quarter of the book of Exodus is about the tabernacle. It's got to be important. And it's important because Exodus is not just about a God who, who redeems people from slavery. It's about a God who longs to dwell with his people and live with his people and communicate with his people and connect with his people. See, it's about nine months since they arrived at Sinai. It's about a year since they left Egypt. And God says to them, build me a tabernacle. And he speaks to the people and says, bring all your offerings and bring all your gifts to me. Now, now God doesn't want you know, any old dirty metal like a tin or a copper or aluminium. He wants the best. He wants gold and he wants silver and he wants bronze. And he doesn't want any old cloth, you know, any dirty bit of linen you can find. He, he wants blue and he wants 
purple and he wants scarlet colours fit for a king and the people give and they give willingly and they give generously and look what God says in Exodus chapter 25 on the screen can we go back a couple of slides Oh, it's not okay. I'll read it out to you. Exodus 25. Here it is. Then make them. Uh, then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell with them. Make this tabernacle, all its furnishings, exactly like the pattern I will show you. God is saying, in this tabernacle, tabernacle is just an, an English word for for tent. In this place, in this portable palace, if you want, I'm going to dwell with them. The, the holy, majestic, Almighty God is going to come down and dwell with His people. You've got to build a palace fit for a king, haven't you? So we're going to have Exodus chapter 40 read and see how God does dwell with his people. I'd invite Ruth forward to read Exodus chapter 40 and it's on page 70, I think it is. Setting up the tabernacle. Then the Lord said to Moses, Set up the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, on the first day of the first month. Place the ark of the testimony in it and shield the ark with a curtain. Bring in the table and set out what belongs on it. Then bring in the lampstand and set up its lamps. Place the gold altar of incense in front of the ark of the testimony and put the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. Place the altar of burnt offering in front of the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Place the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. Set up the courtyard around it and put the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. Take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it. Consecrate it and all its furnishings and it will be holy. Then anoint the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils. Consecrate the altar and it will be most holy. Anoint the basin and its stand and consecrate them. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Then dress Aaron in the sacred garments, anoint him and consecrate him so he may serve me as a priest. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics. Anoint them just as you anointed their father so they may serve me as priests. Their anointing will be to a priesthood that will continue for all generations to come. Moses did everything just as the Lord commanded him. So the tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year. When Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, erected the frames, inserted the crossbars, and set up the posts. Then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent as the Lord commanded him. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark, attached the poles to the ark, and put the atonement cover over it. Then he brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle outside the curtain and set out the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle and set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it as the Lord commanded him. Then he put up the curtain at the entrance to the tabernacle. He set the altar of burnt offering near the entrance to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, and offered on it burnt offerings and grain offerings as the Lord commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it for washing, and Moses and Aaron and his sons used it to wash their hands and feet. 
They washed whenever they entered the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night and the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. Just to uh, warn you, we're going to do something slightly different tonight. I'm going to do three short talks rather than one longish talk. Um, when I pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you for the way that you continue to feed us and nourish us, teach us, train us, the way that you correct our thinkings, the way that you fill our mind with, with wonderful truths. And I pray for the work of your spirit tonight to, to teach us and to transform us. I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Firstly tonight, God's tabernacle is a dwelling for God's glory. God's tabernacle is a dwelling for God's glory. Look at me at chapter 40, verse 17. The tabernacle was set up on the first day of the first month in the second year, a year after they came out of Egypt. And when Moses set up the tabernacle, he put the bases in place, he erected the frames, he inserted the crossbars, he set up the posts. And then he spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering over the tent. The tabernacle is just basically a series of, of curtains and frames. It's rectangular in shape. So you've got a, a picture here. It's rectangular in shape. It's about 45 metres by about 22.5 metres. Uh, to get your measurements right, that's the, about the size of four tennis courts side by side. And if you imagine that these four tennis courts, two of them would be the outer court and two of them would be the inner court. And the outer court is a place where all the people could go and they could offer their sacrifices. And the inner courts is a place where only the priests could go. And the inner courts would be made of the holy place and what's called the most holy place. And over the holy place and the most holy place is these tents or these curtains. There's a picture. And so these curtains, you'd have, you'd have three curtains over the most holy place. And the first curtain would be made of, of blue and scarlet and purple cloth. And the second curtain, to protect the inner curtain, would be made of goat's hair. And the outer curtain will be made of a, of a ram skin. And the whole point is that this is a place where the most holy place where only the high priest can go and only once a year. And so Moses sets up this tabernacle and the interesting thing is that he does it from the inside out. So he starts at the inner place, the most holy place, and he works outwards. So the first thing he puts in it is the ark. That's there in verse 20. Look at it with me. He took the testimony and placed it in the ark attached the poles to the ark and put the atonement cover over it. You can read about the ark in uh, chapters 25 and 37. The ark, there's a picture there, it, it, it's, a, it's a box, it's about a metre by three quarters of a metre and it's made from acacia wood and it's covered in gold, pure gold, outside and inside. And, and, and on top of it, these, these two cherubims. And it is so precious that you can't just sort of walk up to it and touch it. And you can't just sort of lean on it and you know, take a bit of a, a loungy approach. No one can touch this thing. So you put these rings in place and these poles in place so it can be carried around. And it's so precious because inside this ark are what's called the testimony, verse 20. 
The testimony is just the, the tablets of stone where Moses wrote down the ten words. And then, I guess when you come and you, you see these ten words, and what happens when you see God's perfect standards? And you see how pure and how his standard is just almost unreachable. And you, you're made to feel guilty and you feel your sin. And that's why he says in verse 20 that you're to put the atonement cover on it. The word atonement just means to cover it up. And, and this ark with the atonement cover is a symbol of God's holiness because his law is in it. It's a symbol of God's mercy because it's covered over. Your sin is covered over. And so Moses takes the ark and he puts it in the, the most holy place. And then he puts a curtain up. Verse 20. 21. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and he hung the shielding curtain and shielded the ark of the testimony. This curtain is not a flimsy curtain. It's probably about a half metre thick. And that's why it's got these wooden frames in place. And then he walks out. And he walks out into what's called the holy place. And immediately, because you've got this curtain, you've got this separation. It's a bit like, um, it's a bit like when you go to meet the Queen at Buckingham Palace now you can stand outside the gates and you can peer through the railing which most people do or you can get invited inside the gates and where the guards are changing or you might be invited into the, the, the offices of Buckingham Palace or if you're the Prime Minister you might be invited into the sitting room of Buckingham Palace but no one's invited to the Queen's bedroom apart from her husband you see, the degrees of separation, you're allowed in a certain places. That, that's the tabernacle. And this, this most holy place, there's a barrier there. And only the high priest would go there once a year. And so Moses leaves the most holy place and he goes into the holy place. And what does he see? Verse 22. He placed the table on the north side, outside the curtain, and set the bread on the table. Verse 24, he placed a lampstand. And in verse 26, he placed the gold altar to burn incense and there's these three objects in the, in the holy place you've got, you've got the let's go back to you've got the table and the table is about the same size as the ark and on it are these these twelve loaves of bread and they're supposed to represent the twelve tribes of Israel a reminder that they are God's people and God provides for them and then you've got the, the lampstand which is like a, a, a candlestick with, with seven branches, seven from them of perfection. It, it gives light to the holy place, but also it reminds you that God is light. He's the source of light. And then you've got the altar of incense where you burn this sweet-smelling fragrance because, friends, the tabernacle would stink. You'd have blood everywhere. You'd have animals burning all over the place. And this is a sweet aroma pleasing to God. And then he puts a curtain up again, another barrier where only the priest could go into the holy place. And then he walks out into the outer court. It's there in verse 29. He set up the altar of burnt offering near the end of the tabernacle. And he set up the basin in verse 30. So the altar to the burnt offering is, again, it's, it's square. It's about two metres by two metres. And this time it's made of bronze. Why bronze and not gold? Because bronze can withstand the heat. And it's on this uh, burnt altar you can offer your sacrifice. It's hollow. So you put your fuel in, you put your animal in, and you burn off this animal. And then you've got this basin. The basin was there just before the holy place where you'd wash your hands and you'd cleanse yourself of all your sin. And look how it concludes in verse 33. Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard and so Moses, Moses finished the work. Moses finished the work. If you'd read through the whole chapters, 
six times you'd hear these words the Lord said to Moses 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 and Moses finished the work and our mind's supposed to go hang on we're back to Eden you know God said God said God said on the seventh day God finished the work and we're supposed to think this, this tabernacle this could be the place where, we, where God walks with us where we have the intimate presence of God again and yet when you look at this tabernacle two things come to mind firstly you've got, you've got beauty haven't you you've got a, a beautiful structure it's a sort of place where you walk in and you, you gasp because of the gold and because of the scarlet and because of the purple because of the blue it, it's just magnificent and we're supposed to think this is a palace fit for a king and it's the best that we can do because we're just human but actually he must be mighty he must be holy he must be pure he is beautiful again it reminds me of sorry about the queen again it reminds me of that, of that scene in the, the movie the queen where she sees the stag if you haven't seen she sees this stag and she just a tear comes down her, her cheek and she goes you beauty it's that picture of the tabernacle where we're supposed to grasp and glimpse the holiness, the purity, the beauty of God. And yet you've got the barriers, haven't you? You've got the, the, the curtain after curtain after curtain and the barrier after barrier, the process after process and even the high, holy priest can only go in there once a year. And it's kind of like God is teasing us, you know? Is he going to walk with us or not? And how can we really meet this holy God? That is a tabernacle we're getting ready for the presence of God but we've still got all these barriers it's the beauty and the barriers we're going to see what God did next as we look at the priest but between now and then let's have a song please grab your Bibles again Exodus chapter 40 just to remind you where we're up to we've seen the tabernacle displaying God's glory his holiness, his beauty and yet we've got all these barriers we've got curtain after curtain we've got structure after structure so what does God do? What does God do? He provides a priest. Our second point tonight, God's priest, who is a mediator for God's people. God's priest and a mediator for God's people. You know, a mediator is just somebody who's a link between the divine world and the ordinary world. And, you know, every religion has them. Every religion has people who will act as a link, anointed ones or appointed ones. And that's why God established his priesthood. Because he wants someone to mediate so he can relate to his people and the amazing thing is that as you read through Exodus you think surely it's going to be Moses surely Moses will be this high priest but no no the high priest isn't Moses it's, it's Aaron his brother look at chapter 40 verse 12 bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water and then dress Aaron in the sacred garments and anoint him and, and consecrate him so he may serve me as a priest Aaron's got to put on these, these special clothes chapter 28 verse 2 says this make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honour see if he's going to go and meet with God if he's going to meet with God then he's got to be dressed in the right clothing he can't just rock up to God you know in his tunic or his tracky-dacks he's going to meet with the holy God and he's going to mediate with God and the amazing thing is that his clothing is made of the same material as a tabernacle you know blue and scarlet and purple so that when you look at the high priest and you look at the tabernacle they blend into one because he is mediated between God and his people 
Let's do a, um, a fashion parade. Here's, here's a high priest. He's got this ephod. An ephod is like a, a trendy tunic that's from the, from the shoulders down to the mid-thighs. And it's got two straps and on, on the, the, the shoulders are two gemstones and they're encased in gold. And on these gemstones are, are the twelve tribes of Israel. And it's almost like the priest is carrying the burden on his shoulders for Israel. And then on top of the ephod you've got what's called a breast piece. A breast piece is just a, a rectangular piece of cloth. You can read about it in chapter 28. And it's folded into two and it kind of makes a pouch. And on, on this pouch is, is 12 stones again, four rows of three, one for each tribe of Israel. And it's almost like he's carrying the burden on his shoulders, but he's got Israel in his heart. And in this, this breastplate, he puts two stones, a black one and a white one. They're called the Urim and the Thummim, and they're used to make decisions. And then you've got this, this blue robe that he wears. And can you spot at the bottom these little trinkets at the bottom? They're, they're, they're pomegranates and they're bells. And there's probably about a hundred or two hundred, even a thousand of them. And, and as the priest walks, you get this tinkling sound. And so as he's in the holy place, you can hear him moving around. But actually, this is a Godward sign. God wants to know that the person who's just entered is actually dressed as he commanded. And the people will know that he's in there doing business with God. And on his head, just as an aside, that's why you know, in a Catholic church when they have communion and they claim that the, body and bre- body and, uh, uh, the bread and the wine is the body and blood of Christ, they, they ring a bell, a tinkling sound, almost as though God is present now. But on his head you've got, you've got a turban. It's seven metres of cloth, it's wrapped round and round and round. On his forehead you've got a plate saying these words, Holy to the Lord, Holy to the Lord. He's saying, I'm the one who's set apart for God to, to offer the sacrifices. And you know, you look at this priest and again you're supposed to gasp. And you're supposed to kind of think, if the high priest looks this splendid and if he looks this glorious, how much more glorious must our God be? If this priest who's going to meet with God has to do, dress up in all these fine clothes, how unworthy are we? just to waltz into the presence of a holy, pure God. It's kind of like a snippet of the beauty of God. It's a bit like, you know, when, when a bride is getting ready for her wedding and the husband's not allowed to see the dress, so he just, you get a snippet of the wedding dress, a bit of material, and, you know, it's, it doesn't even give you a glimpse of what it's really going to look like. And so when she walks down that aisle and the whole church just goes, oh, that's the high priest supposed to just say a glimpse of God's beauty and his magnity and his glory and yet you've still got these barriers haven't you and so he's consecrated and he's washed thoroughly and he offers sacrifices so you've got three sacrifices you've got the, 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 um, the sin offering where he gets a bull and he, he presses down hard on the head of the bull and he transfers his sin onto the bull and then you've got the, the ram that's offered and the ram is just a burnt offering it's totally burnt off he's saying I'm totally devoted to you God and then another ram for a wave offering it's saying it's fellowship fellowship with God and fellowship with his people and that is a priest and look how it's described in 29 verse 44 it's on the screen God says 
I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests and then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God and they will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so I might tabernacle I might dwell with them I am the Lord their God and God is saying I am the God who brought you out of slavery I am the God who divided the sea I am the God who spoke the Lord to you and now I want to live with you and friends we're supposed to stop and think how can an unworthy, an unclean a, a sinful people come into the presence of a holy God as I said right back at the beginning of this sermon we can't just waltz into his presence God's glory that word glory we saw last week is his weightiness his otherness his transcendence it's like walking into a fiery furnace it's like walking on coals it's like staring at the sun it's, it's blinding and you know we can pay careful attention to details and we can use a ton of gold like they did or, or two tons of silver or three tons of bronze and we can put on clothes and the cloud over Sinai it's just, it's just a glimpse of, of what God's glory is really like and now that glory fills the tabernacle look at verse 34 the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because a cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle even Moses, Moses who, who'd walked with God who'd seen God face to face even he cannot come into the tabernacle because it's full of the glory of God and the majesty and the otherness and the infiniteness and the transcendence of God and that is a tabernacle friends a picture of God's beauty and yet the barrier his majesty and yet how can we dwell with him and so the tabernacle became a temple later on and sure the, the temple was abused and the priests you know they got religious and they started to think that, that God could be boxed in and controlled but the tabernacle was never intended to be a box to confine God it's supposed to blow your mind as to how holy, how pure, how majestic he is and just show you the barrier after barrier after barrier how can you and I enter and dwell with God and have him dwell with us we're going to find out in our next talk so we've seen the tabernacle displaying the beauty of God and yet all these barriers we've seen his holiness, his, his mightness, his glory that filled the temple and yet only the high priest could see him face to face once a year and the question we're left with is how can you and I how can we experience that God dwelling with us how can you and I walk into the presence of a holy God and be known by him because I don't see any tabernacles today and I don't see any any temples today our third point tonight is this God's son God's Son is seeing God's glory. As we travel this, this bumpy road called life, as we wait for heaven until we see God face to face and we, we dwell with God for eternity, where are we going to see God's glory? God's Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Lord Jesus, who remains one of the most controversial figures in history, he says the most outrageous things, made outrageous claims. But at his trial, one thing really angered the Jews. It's there in Matthew 26 on the screen this fellow said I'm able to destroy this tabernacle this temple and rebuild it in three days but the temple he was talking about was his body and Jesus saying where's our tabernacle I am the tabernacle 
I'm the beauty of God, I'm where you see the glory of God, I'm the way through that barrier, I'm the way to enter into the most holy place. Remember when he stepped onto earth? How did John describe his stepping into earth? Just read these verses and gasp with wonder and awe. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Made his dwelling among us. Not, not just lived among us, not just came down to earth, but tabernacled among us. We've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And Jesus is saying, you know, the glory that, that resided over the most high, holy place, the glory that filled the temple and the tabernacle, the glory that, that Moses couldn't even enter, that glory walked the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. And when you looked at Jesus, you say, that's the glory of God. And Jesus is saying, see me and you see that white hot glory of God. He's saying, I am the tabernacle, I am the high priest, I am the sacrifice, I am the altar, I am the basin, I am the table, I am I'm it. See, he's not just saying, I am God. When he says uh, he, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's not just saying, I am God. He's saying, I'm the beauty of God and the way through the barrier to God. He's saying, I'm the bulldozer that breaks down that barrier. How do you know that? You know, end of creation, God says, I finished my work. End of the tabernacle, Moses finished the work. And Jesus hung on the cross and said, It is finished. It's finished. Forget your sacrifices of, of bulls and goats. I am the sacrifice. My blood shed for you. There's no other way. And friends, that's what Helen needed to hear most. She needed to hear about Jesus. She'd understood the glory of God, she'd understood the might of God, but she hadn't understood Jesus as the way to God. And as I stood outside yesterday handing out flyers about Easter, see, these people don't hear about church, they don't need to hear about Easter, they need to hear about the Lord Jesus, who is the perfect sacrifice, who actually breaks down that barrier. And I, I fear that too many churches are preaching what I call the, the gospel according to Oprah. You know, the gospel which says that there is one God, but there are, there are many ways to him. That's what she says. And Jesus says, no, 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 I am the only way, because I'm the, I'm the only one who breaks down that barrier. And so many churches, you know, even churches today, they put up those barriers, so you still need a priest to mediate. How offensive is that to the great high priest? How offensive when people get dressed up in all these priestly garments? Because Jesus is the high priest. Even at the road at Mary McKillick's chapel, there's still what they call the tabernacle. And they've got a precious host in there. And then the priest can go in there. How offensive is that to our high priest? And other religions, that they try and build blocks to build over these barriers to reach God. And Jesus is saying, I am the tabernacle. I am the place you see God's glory. And then maybe you're here tonight and you've understood that God is holy. You've understood he's mighty. You've understood he's pure and perfect. But you still haven't grasped that Jesus is actually the way that you actually come to meet with him and what you need to hear is not sort of give us your money and not do good works but just bow before Jesus as your sacrifice come to him and say it's because of you Jesus I can enter that most holy place and because of you Jesus you can dwell with me and I can talk to you God and you'll walk with me intimately but I, I reckon there are a lot of people here who, who, who have grasped that Jesus is the way but they've lost sight of Jesus and his glory you know, they've lost sight that when you see Jesus, when you understand Jesus, when you, the more you love Jesus, the more you grasp how glorious God is. 
And what you guys need to hear is not, ab- not about just the cross or not about just programs or not about church, but you need to hear about Jesus in all his glory and all his wonder. And read the Gospels again and see how majestic and how mighty and how perfect and how pure he really is. God's sign is where we see God's glory. But if I stopped there, we, we'd actually miss a really important point because where, where's God's glory most shown today? Where do we grasp God's glory? Where does God tabernacle amongst us today? So my last point tonight is God's church. God's church displaying God's glory. Listen to how Paul describes a Christian in verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's tabernacle and that God's spirit lives in you? Or 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Don't you know that your body is a tabernacle of the Holy Spirit who's in you? whom you receive from God. You're not your own, you're bought at a price. He's saying, if you've come to Christ, if you've come to the cross, if you've seen the glory of God in Christ, if you bow before Christ, then the Spirit lives in you, personally. And you're like this little mini tabernacle that is supposed to be radiating God's glory. And people are supposed to look at you. And when they see you, and they see what you say, and they see what you do, and they see the way you behave, and the words that you speak, they're supposed to get a glimpse of the glory of God. They're supposed to see precious gold and scarlet and blue and purple clothings. Not, not outward adornment, but inner beauty. The way that you, you relate to each other. Because we're not just individual temples. Look how Peter describes the church in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house or a tabernacle to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. See, where is God's glory seen today? Where is God's beauty and God's holiness and God's otherness supposed to be most on display? It's right here, right now in this place. I'm not talking about buildings. We don't need ornate buildings. We don't need gold. We don't need beautiful coloured things. We don't need tapestries. Not, it's not this building that reflects the glory of God it's us collectively as God's people we're supposed to reflect the glory of God and we need to be a people who adorn the gospel and when people walk through those doors when they meet us they should be blown away by God and when they see that the way that we relate and give, give someone five minutes with us as a church and they should gasp and say God must be so pure and so holy and yet these people, they know him. You see, the Israelites, they, they, willing, they willingly, voluntarily gave their possessions. It was costly to build a tabernacle and friends, we are commanded, it's costly to give our lives. To give our lives, yes, to Christ but also to show his glory in the way that we relate to each other. You know, we use our souls, our bodies, our time, our skills, our money, our gifts, our talents, willingly, joyfully, without compulsion, to build God's church and to display God's glory. And just as the Israelites worked hard and precisely, you know, minute detail to get God's tabernacle perfect, the question is, are we going to do the same? Are we going to really work hard with our time? Work hard with our time, the way that we use our time, so we're, we're displaying God's glory. There are times I'd much rather be at the beach than in church. There are times I'd rather be on my bike or on the run than in church. But no, to come together collectively is the most beautiful thing you can do. Use your time wisely. What about the gifts that God has given you? 
you know, we've all got different gifts and we're supposed to use them not to, to build up ourselves but to build up the body to, to display the glory of God and so when someone walks to the door they see the body working together perfectly and they gasp and say oh, God is a glorious God and these people know him maybe it's your money you know we've got a budget this afternoon of 300,000 300,000 dollars well 200 members it's about 25 dollars a week isn't it to be used so the gospel can go out and God can be honoured this is a good test if someone walked in off the street and they sat next to you and they watched you would they get a glimpse of God's glory or would they see you know bickering bitching jealousy slander you know they're not going to see God's glory if all they see is a worldly church and maybe you need to work hard at fixing up relationships or starting to serve or starting to give and stop thinking programs and start thinking we are God's temple we are God's tabernacle and this is where the glory of God dwells and just as God's glory filled the tabernacle and it was so glorious even Moses had to hide his face when people walk into this church in Cuba they should say wow God is glorious and wow the barrier is gone I pray that this church will be a, a place where we focus on Christ where we show Christ in all his glory as the barrier breaker but more than that that the way that we relate and the way that we live as a body would reflect the glory of God and people would see it shining from us and then we put them to heaven to Revelation 21 where it says and God will dwell with his people I will be their God they will be my people and they will see me face to face for eternity whereas the tabernacle ultimately is heaven where together, corporately and individually we will dwell with God and he'll dwell with us for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holiness, your beauty, your, your majesty, your, your glory. You are God, there is no other. Lord, we're, we're amazed that through your son Jesus you can break down that barrier so that we can know you intimately Father thank you for his death his resurrection, his ascension and Father we are amazed that you choose to dwell in us personally by your spirit and Father we are conscious of that privilege and yet responsibility of displaying your glory as a church and I pray that you would humble us and change us that you would make us a people that adorns the gospel I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Any questions?